You're listening to Reformed University Fellowship at the University of Kentucky. Here at RUF, we believe that you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace, and you are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. For more information, check us out at ruf.org backslash UK or on Instagram at UKRUF. Thanks so much for listening. This time in RUF, uh, each Wednesday, what we do is we look at a portion of Scripture, and uh, for some of you that may seem obvious, but uh, the reason we do that uh, is because if uh, you're new to Christianity or you're exploring Christianity, uh, there's no better way to do that uh, than by looking at the Bible. Uh, but also, if, if you are a Christian, uh, there's no way to grow uh, as a Christian apart from God's Word. And so, regardless of where you're coming from uh, tonight, we are really glad you're here, and we're going to look tonight uh, at Luke uh, chapter 10. Uh, if you were with us last week, uh, Jesus, uh, in the famous passage, he's transfigured and he tells us to take up our cross and follow him. Uh, he says this, he says, uh, those who uh, seek to save their life will lose it, uh, but those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Uh, and in the next chapter, what we have uh, in the passage we just read is an illustration of what it looks like to lose ourselves in love, to, to give ourselves away in love for someone else. Um, and this is a passage that might, it, it's, it's the Good Samaritan. Uh, so even if you're not uh, very familiar with the Bible, it's likely you've heard either of this uh, or maybe you're familiar with this passage. There's a hospital on campus, Good Sam. Um, and, and so it, it, it's common, uh, but it teaches us a lot about love. Um, it starts off with this man uh, who's on the side of the road, he needs to be saved, uh, and, and some religious leaders walk by him. People that would have been really respected. Uh, think, think of the, the most respected people in, in the community, uh, and, and then add the, a religious title to that. Uh, these people saw that man hurting on the side of the road, walked by. A Levite, a priest, both walked by, ignored the man, and then finally a Samaritan walks by. Uh, there's no better illustration I don't think I can give uh, that kind of gives the context of, of what Samaritans thought of Jews and what Jews thought of Samaritans uh, than this episode I watched uh, in a show called Band of Brothers. If you haven't seen Band of Brothers, you need to. It's a great show. Follows a company of soldiers through World War II, but in the, I think it's the third episode that they go into Holland, and as they're approaching this town, 
that's just been liberated from the Nazis on the outskirts of this town, there is a woman whose head is being shaved and people are spitting at her and kicking her and her children out of town. And the reason they're doing that is because she had befriended the Nazis. She, she was a friend of the enemy. And, and so the people in this town scalped her and kicked her out. And, and, and that gives you a picture of how Jews viewed Samaritans. The person asking Jesus this question uh, is a Jew, and uh, the hero of this story is a Samaritan. Jews viewed Samaritans as kind of like those who intermarried with the enemy. Uh, they were political enemies, uh, religious enemies. Uh, they did not like each other. In fact, if, if you went to a Jewish temple, there were prayers in the Jewish prayer book that, that would actively pray against the Samaritan people. And Jesus tells this story about a man dying on the side of the road, and this Samaritan comes along. He gives him a ride in his donkey. He bandages him up. He covers him with oil and wine. He takes him to the inn. He makes sure he has enough money for that stay and beyond. It's a picture of like lavish, over-the-top love for someone that is in need with the goal of helping them thrive. And then Jesus, after he tells this, says, you go and do likewise. And so tonight we're going to look uh, at this passage and what it teaches us uh, about love. Uh, and before Jesus tells us anything about what it looks like to love, uh, he, he gives us a barrier to love. That's going to be the first thing we looked at. We're going to look at barriers to love, uh, characteristics of love, and then lastly, uh, the motivation for love. Let me pray for us before we do that. Father, uh, Lord, we live in a world uh, that is hurting, uh, full of people that are hurting, Lord. And you know that, Lord. And our hurt and our pain and our sin, uh, Lord, did not cause you to run from us. Uh, but Lord, you sent your son into this world to redeem a hurting people and to heal a hurting people. And so, Father, as, as we look at this passage tonight, help us to see how you love and how you send us to love. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, first thing we're going to look at is, is barriers to love. What hinders us from loving others? What, what hinders uh, th these men that walk by this man from loving others? What hinders this lawyer from loving, loving other people? And there's lots of reasons given to that in Scripture, uh, but I think the, the preeminent theme throughout this passage about what hinders love is our obsession with self. We are consumed with us, with thinking about us, uh, managing us, promoting us, and you see the same thing at play in this passage. Um, what you see in this passage, there's an interesting term. And if you look at verse 29, it, it kind of gives the motivation for this man. Uh, this man comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, how do I inherit life? And, and when you get to verse 29, it kind of gives you the reason behind. He says, uh, but he desiring to justify himself. So, so the, the reason this man is asking Jesus is not like, hey, I want to grow in love. How do I do that better? He's there to justify himself. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, Chariots of Fire Chronicles. 
really follows one runner, but, but his main opponent uh, is a guy named Harold Abrams. And Harold Abrams talks about his, him running the 100-yard dash as in the 1920s in the Olympics. And he views that race, the final race. He's got, he says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Here, this lawyer is trying to justify himself. Harold Abrams talks about 10 seconds to justify my existence. Uh, to, to justify yourself means you want to you prove that your life matters. You want to prove that you're good enough. And, and the lawyer here is approaching Jesus trying to justify himself, to prove he matters. And you can see that even in, in the very first question he asks. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's automatically something assuming that he, <laughs> that he can do something to inherit eternal life. Uh, and so he's seeking to justify himself by what he can do, by his religious obedience. Um, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, of course, then points him to the scripture. He says, okay, well, what does the law say? Uh, and he says, you know, oh, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Like, a lawyer in that time, this was, this was Jesus basically putting this, like the, the question up on a T. Every Jewish person would have known that verse and they would have known the answer to that question. Like, it'd be like someone asking you a question about Christianity and you're like, I don't know, Jesus? You know, like, yeah, uh, probably, probably close in the ballpark uh, to an answer. Um, here, the, everyone would have known this verse. This was recited in every Jewish household. And so Jesus says, well, what does the law say? How, how do you inherit eternal life? And the man says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looks at him and says, that's right. You go. Go do that and you shall be saved. If you do those things, you will live. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. It's so easy. All, he, all the man has to do is love God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength, and then just love other people as he loves himself. That's so simple, right? No, <laughs> of course not. Like, who does that? Who can possibly love God with every faculty in their being? And, and then who do you know that actually loves other people the way they love themselves? When Jesus asked him this question and the guy responded with that answer, and Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. The man's response immediately should have been, oh man, I need help. He, he knows he's failed at this. He knows he's fallen short. Anyone who's honest knows they've fallen short when they see that command. And if that's what I'm required to do to gain eternal life, then there's no way. There is no hope for me. Jesus is, is telling him this in order to humble him. But instead, the man has the opposite effect. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, uh, we had career day. Uh, and like many things in high school, I procrastinated on career day until like the day before. And I was like, who could I call that I know that I think will have a visitor, you know, that will have visitors. And so my friend and I called the local fire department and we went and uh, we shadowed uh, the fire department for the day. And it was actually awesome. Uh, but one of the things they did, they, they showed us what they were shown on their first day of uh, training. And it was this obstacle course they had to do while wearing the full jacket with a tank on the back 
uh, climbing a ladder. Then you have to use the hammer to like move this huge cement block. Uh, they need to kind of climb up another ladder. Then there was like this dummy that weighed 80 pounds. You have to carry the dummy down the ladder. Uh, and they had to do it in a certain amount of time. And, and one of the guys did it. And you could tell they were doing it probably for the same reason that people did it to them on the first day of training. It's like, guess what? This is really hard. And you're not going to be able to do this. Yet the goal of it was to kind of humble any new people that were seeking to be firefighters. Uh, and Jesus answers this man by saying, yeah, you can inherit eternal life as long as you love me perfectly and love others perfectly. <laughs> but the man doesn't stop. I, 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 he does what probably a lot of us do when we know that we failed. What's a common thing that we do when we know we failed? Or maybe when we know we're about to do something that's really, really hard. Um, if we failed, we often want to run to something maybe that we've done well. Well, crud, Yeah. I actually remember this thought going through as I was watching these firefighters do this course, like, okay, well, yeah, but I'm no, I don't really want to be a firefighter, you know? Like, uh, yeah, I'm a, you know, I'll, I'll go to school and like be a, I think I thought I was going to be a doctor at that point. Um, you know, I, I, I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? I've got this going on. Um, and, and maybe you've had the same reaction after you fail. Well, yeah, 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 but that's fine. I, don't, I mean, I don't have to do this major. Um, or, you know, or maybe you've seen someone else do really well and your reaction is, well, yeah, but, but they struggle in this area. Or maybe I failed in this test, but you know, I'm a better person than them. How easy it is for us to slip into the same mode this man does. We want to justify our existence. We want to tell people, we want to prove to people, we want to prove to God, we matter. I'm important. Look, look what I can do. We justify ourselves. I mean, and this is kind of the same um, line of thinking because the man goes on to say, he says... Um, you know, seeking to justify himself, he says, and who's my neighbor? See, see what he's doing? He's asking Jesus, okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. And he asks this question, seeking to justify himself. Mainly what, he, what he's asking Jesus to do is like, he's asking this question and he wants Jesus to say like, hey, you're doing perfectly fine. So he's asking the question, and who's my neighbor? Hoping that Jesus will say, your neighbor is all the good Jewish people around you. That's what he's hoping the answer will be. In fact, that, that was a common answer at that time in Judaism was that your neighbor are the people within your ethnic tribe and in your town. That's your neighbor. And he's really hoping Jesus will just affirm him in that. And so he's asking this question not because he wants to grow like, Lord, Jesus, who are some people that I can love? No, he's not asking that question. It's kind of like the same line of, of thinking we ask that question, like how far is too far? in this relationship. We're never asking that question wondering, how can I best love this other person uh, that I'm in a dating relationship with? Usually it's like, I'm asking that question so I can just love myself. And this man is doing the same thing. Who is my neighbor? And in response to that, Jesus tells a story that is designed to slay this man's self-righteousness and to slay our own self-righteousness. Because here's the reality. It is really, really hard to love other people, especially those that are hurting and on the margins of society, if you and I are constantly consumed with ourselves and justifying our existence. You know why? Because it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting thinking about ourselves and how we come across and how people view us 
and, and how we might come across as better. That takes a lot of time. You know, those elections across the country last night, like <laughs> those campaigns take a lot of energy. Uh, and, and, but, but looking at that, we, we shouldn't feel as if that's a foreign experience because a lot of our time is spent campaigning for ourselves and promoting a version of ourselves. And that is exhausting. And it hinders us from loving other people. And so Jesus tells this story about a Samaritan of all people who saves someone in order to slay our own self-justifying efforts. Because our own self-justification is probably the biggest obstacle to loving. So Jesus addresses that. He also gives us a, the characteristics of love. Um, look at three characteristics. Love is, you see in this passage, love is risky. Uh, love is costly. Uh, and love is more than a feeling. Uh, it's risky. Uh, this, the Samaritan helping this man who was dying on the side of the road is, is risky in a lot of ways. Uh, for one, uh, Jesus g- g- gives this example. It's a Samaritan in Jewish territory, and he's helping someone on the side of the road. If a Samaritan was seen close to someone hurt on the side of the road, it's very likely someone could just assume, oh, that's a Samaritan. He probably hurt that man. He, he's really risking his health. He could have been beaten up for doing the very thing that he was about to do. He could have lost his reputation. What if another Samaritan saw him? What are you doing, you fool? Why would you help that other person? What he was doing is risky. He was kind of sacrificing his reputation. Uh, he was sacrificing his convenience, his time, in order to help this person. He could have been misunderstood. It's risky to love people. Uh, it's also costly. Uh, what does love look like? True love looks like sacrificing for someone else. And that might actually cost money. It it might cost your time. Uh, Look what he does. Look at verses 33 through 35. Um, He sees him. He puts him on his animal. Uh, This is after he binds up his wounds, pouring on him oil and wine. He takes him to the inn. The next day he takes out two denarii and he says, hey, and you know what? If this costs any more, you just let me know and I'll pay the rest. Um, it takes him, it, it costs him money. Uh, it costs him time. And that's the kind of love that we're called to do. Now, I, I have to say this too. I think sometimes we can read a passage like this and think, okay, man, that's right. It does cost money, cost time. I need to go somewhere. You know what? Uh, next time I'm going to leave the country and I'm going to go and help people in the Middle East or wherever there's a refugee crisis, I'm going to go there and help those people. And you know what? The Lord might be calling you to do that and doors might open and you should probably go do that. We're taking a mission trip to the Yakima Reservation in spring break. He might be calling you to do that. But you know what? I think sometimes what's alluring about going somewhere else to love people, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes the reason we're attracted to going elsewhere to love people is because it's really hard to love the people that God has placed in our midst. It's not an accident you're in the dorm that you're in or you're in the room that you're in or you're in the classes that you're in. You may need to go abroad. You may need to go far away. Um, But you know what? You know who else needs to be loved are are your classmates, uh, your family, uh, your roommates. Uh, People in your sorority or fraternity need to be loved. 
God might be calling you to love those people first and foremost. Love is risky, it's costly, and it's more than a feeling. Um, I have to address this because I think it's easy um, in our culture, and I think this seeps into the Christian life as well, that we love people when we really have like this warm feeling, and then we will love people really well. Which is why I think a lot of times we feel guilty about not loving people because we think, I've never felt that way. And so I just haven't done loving things because I've never felt like doing loving things. Um, One day, someday, you might always feel like doing the loving thing. But until then, we are called to love people actually regardless of what we are feeling. Now, does love involve feelings? Of course. Of course. Maybe you'll marry someone one day. I hope that you like love sacrificially and that you actually feel Uh, emotions of love towards those people. But what what we see in this passage is a man who makes a point to actually go, he makes a decision to love this person. He has compassion on him. He takes steps. He like, it's inconvenient. There's probably times in which he thought like, I could be doing other things, but but I'm going to love this person. Um, Paul says this way, he says in in Colossians 3, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. You hear what Paul's saying? He's saying, put on these things. Paul's talked in in, in the first two chapters of that book all about what Christ has done for his people. And he says, in light of that, put on kindness, patience, humility. See what Paul's getting at? He doesn't say, hey, start feeling this way. He's sort of like putting it on. Sometimes we have to put on kindness. <laughs> kindness doesn't just like magically zap you when you become a Christian and all of a sudden you're just kind to everyone. It takes practice. And, and love takes practice. And sacrificial, costly, risky love will take practice. It's going to cost us something. And, and look, the, 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 reason, the, the reason you or me or anyone would ever want to do this is because we've experienced that love. Isn't it? Uh, it it's a lot easier to love someone when, when you've recently known and experienced love from someone else. It, it's, it's a beautiful thing to have someone sacrifice for you. And, and, and what we get in the gospel, whether you've experienced that this week, or maybe you felt like you, you, you've never experienced that from anyone. The, the good news of the gospel is that that is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus tells this parable of what it looks like to love people. And then he actually goes and loves people in this exact way. And in the same way this man was inconvenienced, uh, you know, he's, he's on a 17-mile journey and he has to help this man on the side of the road. Jesus came much further than 17 miles. Jesus gave up much more than two denarii. Uh, this man, you know, he, he lost some time. He lost some convenience. Jesus gave up his life. And he gave up his life, not for a people who were just merely like on the road sick, but, but the Bible says that Jesus came to save people that were dead, that, that we are dead in our trespasses and that Jesus came to die and save us. And and in the same way that this Samaritan is committed to this man's full healing, what we read in Philippians 1 is that Jesus came to die for us, to redeem us from our guilt. And the good news is that he is committed 
to your full healing, that he who started a good work in you will one day bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul writes in Philippians 1. The the one that saved you is also committed to fully healing you. That is good news. That's good news that will actually free us up to love other people. And that love actually compels us to love other people. And Jesus didn't do this because he looked at us and was like, man, what an impressive, good-looking group of people. What a beautiful group of people. I'm going to go save those people. No, Jesus did all this in order to make us beautiful. And then he says, go and do likewise. And, And so the question uh, I, I hope that's stirring in your mind is, okay, who then is my neighbor? And, and I think Jesus gives us the simple answer. The, the simple answer is, who in your midst has needs? And how can you bless them? Who, who in your midst is suffering or hurting or lonely? And, and what would it look like to love that person in such a way that you make them thrive. It it, it will probably cost you time. Uh, It it might even cost you time to think through who the Lord's placed in your life and and what it might look like, what, what kind of steps you could take to actually love them and sacrifice for them. Uh, It might mean doing something as simple as next week, bringing canned food to our food drive. Uh, It might mean like sponsoring a child. Um, or, or it might mean thinking through people in your class, maybe someone that you've seen that you've never seen talk to anyone. Maybe there's someone in the dining hall you've seen that, and you've never seen them talk to anyone. Um, or you know there's someone on your hall that's hurting or they've gone through something. What, what would it look like to give up time to, to pray for them, uh, to invite them to lunch, or to invite them to a Bible study, um, or even just to ask how they are doing? Jesus pushes us towards costly, risky love that is more than a feeling because he himself did that for you and for me. Isn't that the type of king you want to live for? Isn't that the type of king whose love you want to reflect into the world? That's what he invites us to do. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we need your love. Uh, Lord, this is a room full of people that need your love in so many different ways. Lord, some of us are hurting and we need to be reminded that you care. Lord, other of us feel trapped uh, in our sin. Maybe we don't know you, Lord, and need to be reminded, Lord, that you came to seek and to save the lost. Those who feel that they are not good enough for you. Those who feel like they have failed. Those who are in their shame Lord, this room needs to know uh, that you came to seek and save, not impressive people, uh, but needy and broken and ashamed people. Uh, Father, we need your love uh, to mold us and to make us, that we might be a more loving people. And so we ask, we ask for wisdom as as how to do that, Lord. I, I pray this would stir up conversations as to how to best love other people and love this campus. Lord, would you do that? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.